0: Everyone, oh, thank you. Um, so, as you may have noticed from the table and what Billy's just said, we are planning to take communion together as a church here this morning. Um, but before we do, I just wanted to share a few thoughts on communion that might hopefully bless us as we share in it together. Um, so, I'm going to walk through a couple of examples quite briefly um, of communion in the Bible and highlight what we learn from them, um, focusing slightly more on the second one. Um, So, to begin, I thought we'd ask the question, what is communion? We take it semi-frequently as a church, but why do we do it? How often do we ask ourselves, what's the point of what we're doing? So, I thought we'd look at the first communion, which was, of course, the Last Supper. So, Jesus and his disciples were sitting down together to share a Passover meal. And if you don't know what that is, a Passover meal was a meal Jewish people shared to remember the Passover, when God set them free from slavery to Egypt and delivered them to the promised land. And it's one of the stories in the Bible that God's people were told to remember and to repeat to one another. A pile of stone story, if you remember that series that we did, um, that you can look back on and build our faith on and tell to our children. And that's not a story to be forgotten about. And so every time they shared this meal, they were reminded of who God was, who they were, and what God had done for them. And it's not by accident that the first introduction to communion is linked to Passover. Jesus says, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, because this is my blood, which confirms my covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So do you see how these stories are linked? In Passover, they celebrated how God had made a promise to their people, freed them from slavery, and delivered them to the promised land. And in this first communion, Jesus says he's confirming a covenant or a promise between God and his people. He'll free them from sin that they're trapped in and deliver us to our Father's kingdom. And just like the Passover meal, we're meant to remember what God has done. If we consider ourselves Christian, it's because we believe that Jesus died for us to set us free and join us with the Father. And isn't that worth remembering? So when we take communion, this is our chance, just like the Passover meal, to remind ourselves of who God is, who we are, and what God has done for us, for all of us that count ourselves as his children. And isn't that all such good news? But a short while later, we get another description of communion in the Bible. This time after Jesus has died and risen again and ascended to heaven. In Paul's letter to the early church in Corinth, he writes this in the following instructions I cannot praise you for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church and to some extent I believe it but of course there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. But when you meet together you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others and as a result some go hungry while others get drunk. What, do you not have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Now, as someone who's a words of encouragement person, I, for one, am quite glad I wasn't personally on the receiving end of that letter. (laughs) It sounds quite harsh, doesn't it? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? These are some strong accusations. And you'll be relieved to no, know I didn't pick this passage because I wanted to tell you all off. I picked it because it says some really important things about communion and especially about taking it together as a church. So, if you will, please try and picture the scene Paul is writing about. So this is a really early church it's made up of a whole different bunch of people there would have been gentiles who've heard the good news and believed in jesus for the first time there would have been jews who would have believed in god their whole lives and used to all kinds of rules and traditions there would have been rich poor male female young old and what paul's talking about here is all those people coming together to share communion or the lord's supper But what he writes is that all these people coming together weren't really coming together at all you've got people in the church who were divided and some of this i imagine would have been active conflict but much more of it appears to be passive exclusion and in the early church when you sat down for the lord's supper it wasn't a small wafer and a sip of wine it was like sitting down for a meal bread and wine were commonly consumed and so people would eat and drink them often with their food And when Jesus first said to his disciples that the bread was his body broken for them, and the wine his blood, he was sitting down with them and sharing a meal. So picture this church sitting down together to eat. Now when you picture people sitting down together to eat the same meal, usually you picture friends, don't you? Or at least people who are friendly, or getting to know each other. There's usually talking involved, and even if you don't know someone very well at the start, you generally know them better by the end. And this isn't ordering different things in a restaurant where some people have steaks and others get a side salad because it's not quite payday yet. This is all the same prepared meal. The same loaf of bread and the same cup of wine. And yet, when this church came together to share in that, there were all these divisions. And the poor would still have only a little. And the rich feasted like kings. Some hurried to eat their own meals without sharing with others. So what you get is that those who are marginalised stay on the outside, even when we're sharing in communion. And the Bible, we know, says that there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free in Christ Jesus. But actually, that doesn't mean everyone automatically gets on fine and are included, that there's no cliques or divisions. Community and inclusion are things we always need to be active about, They don't just happen on their own. And in the end, the church in Corinth, Paul was writing about. What you see is everyone taking this meal on their own and not as part of a whole. Reflecting on their own. And doing their relationship with God on their own. And Paul seems to have a pretty big problem with that. The words he uses in this letter are so harsh. Do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? Ouch, Paul. He's not Back any punches there, but he does it to make a point. Because while communion is about remembering what God has done for us individually, He saved me and He loves me, it's also about joining with others to remember that together, and encourage each other and be God's church. We call it communion. Communion. The clues in the name. The Bible doesn't model people just going away and taking communion on their own at home. In fact, Paul says, don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? We take communion in church all together for a reason. And if you do it individually, then something very important is missing. But it's so easy to take communion at church, just as if you were on your own. And I appreciate that for the last couple of years, we've had to do a lot of things on our own, haven't we? including large parts of our faith. But it's time now to come together again in whatever capacity you are able. The Bible says it is not good for man to be alone. And it's so true. Psychologically, loneliness is so damaging. People are so much more likely to thrive in community than we are on our own. And even in the way we talk about Jesus, we have a habit sometimes of making the gospel quite individual. We say things like, Jesus died for you, so you could be saved and live with him in heaven. And it's true, but it's not the whole story, is it? Jesus calls the church his bride, the whole church, together, and he calls us together into partnership with him to bring his kingdom here. He calls us into community And just like how in the Passover meal, that was a people who claimed their identity as God's people together. When we take communion, we are not just supposed to remember what God has done for us individually, but actually the bigger story, that this is God's plan to make the whole earth new. And we as his people are part of that. Not just to be saved, but to be part of God's saving plan as well. So I want to encourage you today when we share in communion together to remember what God has done for us but not to come down thinking of yourself as just an individual but also as a part of God's saving plan for creation and a part of this community. Whether you're a guest here this morning or are here every Sunday we want to share this with you and let it unite us. So please, if you're comfortable, grab one or two people around you to share communion with, or keep an eye out for those that might need welcoming in and might need help coming together. And if you're not comfortable coming into contact with people, that is totally okay. (laughs) Um, We're not going to force you. But I just want to encourage us this morning to let this be something that we do together without division, that we would know we are part of something bigger than just us, and let that unite us with one another as something we share is going to lead us through communion now, so please join us.